0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. So good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and your device so you can go to Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the Bibles there on the ground next to you and turn to page 1031. Well, we dive into the book of Galatians now this week. We started it last week on Reformation Sunday, where we celebrated 500 years of the Reformation, and we kicked off the series with just reading the entire book of Galatians. And now we will begin to plow through it and really see that this book is going to remind us about God's radical, no rival, no equal, no substitute, unchanging grace. And what we need when really you start any book, especially these letters, uh, Paul's letters in the New Testament, is you need some background because you can't just dive right into them. You've got to kind of know what's happening here. Without background, it'd be like watching Toy Story 2 without Toy Story 1. That's just criminal. You've you got to have the background. And so Paul plants in the book of Acts, you see this in Acts, in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So I want to encourage you, you can go read those this week and you can see how these churches in southern Galatia were planted there in modern day Turkey. But I want to give you a little taste of it. I'm just going to share two passages on the screen because there is a tension in the book of Galatians between Paul and the churches in Galatia and these Jewish false teachers. And you already see, as soon as Paul hits the ground here in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14, you can already see a battle happening there as Paul planting in these churches. So look at Acts 13 up here on the screen. So Paul's in one of these towns in Galatia. And the following Sabbath, so on the next Saturday, the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Whole towns gathered to hear Paul preach. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were rejoicing. No, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting him. So already, first interaction, there is a group of people contradicting Paul, insulting him, and in some documents from church history, would don't know if they're right or wrong, later in a few centuries from now, they write about the apostle Paul being really short, really ugly, and somebody you wouldn't want to really hang out with. So they're probably insulting his appearance, insulting his demeanor. And Paul says, my words don't come with powers. My looks and my voice come with the power of God. So you can see there's already attention in Acts 14. Paul travels. He leaves this town, goes to another town, persecuted, same things happen, goes to another town. Now the third town in the area of southern Galatia, and the people followed him. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They're chasing Paul down and won over the crowds. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. And the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. So you can see this great conflict is already unfolding when Paul gets there. But he keeps evangelizing, he keeps planting churches, stoned nearly to death, maybe to death, and then he goes to one more town and then goes back to all the towns and tells them, keep, keep trusting and keep following and the Jesus you believed. And that's key. The Jesus you believed. But now, Paul's hearing that these churches are now being hoodwinked by false teachers, being deceived. And instead of rebuking this false teaching, they're receiving it and they're following along and Paul explodes. This is the most intense letter that Paul writes in the New Testament. Paul loses it. His intensity is through the roof because what we must see and really how this letter begins, this is the great theme of the letter, is that it is grace to you. Not you to grace, and not even grace and you working together, but grace to you. Grace coming to us, not us and grace doing our individual parts. Grace to you. So as you do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse 1, chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Beginning in verse 1, the Holy Spirit tells us, Paul an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Let's pray together. Father, help us now. Help us to realize what your grace is for us in Christ. How grace comes to us. How you give us and grant us your free grace. Help us, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Amen. You may be seated. I think one of the most crushing scenes in a classic movie is in Forrest Gump. And one you can, one we can all relate to as a kid, especially if you were a public school kid and had to ride the bus. Forrest is on the bus. He wants to, wants to make friends. Wants to sit by people. What does he hear over and over and over again? Seats taken. All right. Goes to the next seat. Seats taken. Seats taken, seats taken. I thought about that phrase for some reason this week. I want you to steal that phrase and I want you to use it anytime false teaching, legalism, any kind of foreign way to get righteous before God tries to cozy up next to you. Legalism comes slithering by. You tell it, seats taken. Because I already have Christ. Satan wants you to grab the fruit of self-righteousness. Satan wants you to grab the fruit of self-salvation and this pursuit of Jesus plus something. This is what will make me a really good Christian. And you've got to see that's not Christianity, but it's Christianity is grace coming to you. And this is what Paul shows us. What happens when grace is added to you? Look at verse one. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, this is important. Paul's reminding these, these churches, I'm an apostle. And he doesn't do this just to rehearse his CV and you know kind of sync up his LinkedIn resume. This is not what Paul's doing. He's doing this because these false teachers are criticizing Paul, the person, telling them, these churches, Paul's not really an apostle. Paul doesn't have a legit message. We do. Because just like in politics, if you can criticize the person, their reputation, their character, oh, then it's even easier to criticize their message. That's why we have a worldwide political leaders calling people buffoons on Twitter. Because if they can discredit the person, then they can easily discredit the message in very simple terms. So Paul realizes they're attacking his apostleship, and he tells them, listen, I'm not an apostle by man. Look at what he says. This is not from man or by man, but by Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle because Jesus made me one. The risen Christ made me one. I'm here preaching throughout the world, planting churches here in Galatia, here in modern day Turkey, and I'm writing to you now, listen, because God did this. I'm not commissioned by man. Peter, James, and John didn't give me my ministry. They didn't see that I had some good gifting and some potential and trained me. I didn't go through some kind of training school I'm here because the almighty God and Jesus Christ himself made me an apostle. Grace was added to me. And look at what he says. The God and Father who raised him from the dead. Friends, the risen Christ is Paul's reality. Beloved, notice already, he's already talking about the gospel and we're in verse one. We're one verse in. And he's already talking about the resurrection. You can listen to whole sermons and sometimes you want to hear about the resurrection. Paul's one verse in because the gospel is an urgent matter. And, and here's why. The fact that Jesus is alive, listen, the fact that Jesus is alive changes everything in this world and changes your life. Paul wants us right now, just in the introduction, the introduction to this letter and the introduction to this battle that Paul's going to have with these false teachers he wants us to think about the significance that there is no longer a corpse in Jesus' tomb. If Jesus were still dead, Paul would not have become an apostle. This is what he's saying. I'm an apostle because Jesus is alive. And listen, I want you to just tease out that thought even more about the risen Christ and how important, how significant this is. That if Jesus were not alive, there would not be a New Testament. There would not be a New Testament. Because yeah, Jesus died, but no one would care about Jesus' death if he wouldn't have risen. But the fact that he's alive right now, bodily, the New Testament exists. If Jesus were a pile of bone dust, none of us would be meeting here right now. And we probably wouldn't even know each other. Most of us would not know each other if Jesus were still dead. I think about friendships and relationships that I've have over the years because of the church. I only know Kevin because of a college ministry he used to lead, a Christian ministry for college students. Met him there, met my wife there, met friends there. And now think about all of your friends and all of your relationships you forge with people in the church. A still dead Jesus means none of that happens. It means I don't know Lawson, I don't know Caroline, I don't know Chad, I don't know Amy, I don't know Sonny, I don't know Zach, I don't know anyone here apart from the risen Christ. Because we aren't a book club. We aren't a teaching center. We aren't a Sunday moment for, to get our morality aligned. We are a church of the risen Christ. We sing, we pray, we eat little stale pieces of bread, drink from tiny weird cups. And we open this ancient book and hear someone talk about it for 40 ish minutes all because there's a Nazarene who refused to stay dead. So do you see the significance of the risen Lord Jesus over your life, your salvation, your hope, your all? The living Jesus is the life-defining reality for Paul. Changes everything about him. He's no afterthought. Jesus is the reason and explanation for it all. So is that true of your life? Listen, would your life pretty much look the same if Jesus were still dead? Would your life choices and your morality and your decisions and your parenting and your Sunday mornings, would they pretty much look the same for you if Jesus were still dead? If so, your Christianity is suspect. But when grace, when the living Jesus snatches you, grabs you, changes you, your life is electrified with his power and and changed forever with his righteousness and you're a new person, because so, Paul is, and now look at verse two. And so are, and all the brothers who are with me. Now, Paul says this as a way to kind of keep the ball rolling, saying, hey, I'm not a rogue apostle. I'm not a rogue preacher. I have other people with me who also are validating my message that I send to you, the churches of Galatia. You can read about them. I really want you to, I to encourage you to do that. Chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts to see them. Now look at how he goes. Verse three, here's the key. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's laying this gospel groundwork even more. He's already talked about the resurrection. Now look at verse four, who gave himself for our sins. The whole gospel's here already in the intro. Now grace to you, this little phrase, this may seem like boilerplate, you know, apostolic language is kind of getting the ball rolling here. No, it's not. This is not just like iTunes agreement. You just kind of speed through and check. This frames the whole book. And this really frames the whole Bible. This frames your whole life. The book opens with grace to you and it ends in Galatians 6, 18. May the grace of Christ be with your spirit. Grace frames everything. And these words, grace to you, these words, what we have here is really a portable gospel. You know those little toys that they're, they're like, you know, they're like this big, but then you put them in water and they grow to 10 times their size. This is grace to you. It's, it's really tiny, but a little explanation, a few drops of meditation, and then boom. Grace to you. Christianity is grace coming at you, not you coming to grace. Grace. Christianity is grace—the undeserved merit, the unearned blessings of Christ. This unachievable salvation still coming to you, invading you, filling you, changing you. And now, what? Grace to you in peace from God the Father. Now you have peace, because down into the core of your soul there is a chillness with you and God now, because it's been settled. And look at the source: grace to you in peace from your good works. No. Grace to you in peace from from your sinning less this week. No. Grace to you in peace from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. The source is God, right from God. And look at how Paul continues to just unravel this great source of grace and peace, this Jesus who gave himself, verse four, for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age. The whole gospel's here in the very beginning because Paul's showing them and us, here's what we're gonna talk about for 16 weeks. What it means to have the grace of God come to you and the Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Listen, we can never have the glories of the gospel cross our minds too much because how often do we forget them? How often does Jesus become ignorable to you? To where maybe you haven't even really thought about him till today. Jesus gave himself on the cross for your sins. And this wasn't happenstance. Look what Paul says according to the will of her God and Father. It wasn't like Jesus went to the cross and the Trinity was like, oh man, that kind of worked out. This was God's plan the whole time for you. For you. From eternity past, God was putting everything in motion so your sins could be paid for, forgiven on the cross. So what Paul's doing here is he wants these Galatians, he's telling them, this letter was written around 50 AD, and he's telling them, I want you to dial back a couple of decades and think about that weekend in Jerusalem, how it changes your life. And now he's telling us, I want you to dial back a couple of millennia and think about how an event in the backwoods of Jerusalem changes your life forever. See that Friday and see that Sunday of Jesus of Nazareth offering up his life for what? to be a good example for the world, to show everyone what love is. Not really. Who gave himself for our sins. Your sins. If you could believe that one syllable word, that three-letter word, R, your life would change forever. And if you are already a Christian, if you could believe this word again, our sins, you would have more joy than you've ever had before. And your smile quotient would go up It's really easy to think about, you know, oh, Jesus saving Paul and saving Peter and the Galatians and saving Luther and Spurgeon and and saving, you know, saving Antietam who's so godly and all those kinds of people. But you are included if you believe. Our sins. You are right here. Jesus gave himself up for those things that you've done. Those crimes against God, those lies and the lust his blood was spilled for again spilled for them and now you're forgiven by Jesus this is your reality your life do you believe this that he gave himself for your sins you must fight to believe it because listen satan and your mind your heart your flesh doesn't want you to believe it he wants you to think otherwise wants you to think every day that you're unworthy to be forgiven, that God can never forgive that sin. You're so gross. You're so nasty. You're such a disappointment. But you must preach the gospel to yourself again and again. Refresh yourself. Preach it to yourself. The things that you doubt that you're forgiven of, you must see Jesus took them. This is your everyday battle. And Luther helps us here. Martin Luther believed intensely that Satan was torturing him, tempting him. The same is true of us. We have a, there's, he's prowling around like a lion. Our enemy seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Luther says this, when the devil tells us we are sinners and therefore damned, we may answer. So this is what we should copy. Because you say, I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. You're not hurting me, you're helping me. Then the devil will say, no, you will be damned. And I will reply, no, for I fly to Christ. "'who has given himself for my sins. "'Therefore, Satan, you will not prevail against me "'when you try to terrify me "'by telling me how great my sins are "'and try to reduce me to heaviness, distrust, despair, "'hatred, contempt, and blasphemy. "'On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, "'you give me armor and weapons against yourself "'so I can cut your throat with your own sword "'and tread you under my feet, "'for Christ died for sinners.'" Moreover you yourself preach God's glory to me for you remind me of God's fatherly love towards me that he gave his one and only son whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and whenever you object that I am a sinner you remind me on the benefit you remind me of the benefit of Christ my redeemer it's on his shoulders not mine that all my sins lie so when you say I am a sinner you do not terrify me but you comfort me immeasurably because Christ saves sinners Why did Jesus do this? Look what the Bible says. To rescue us from this present evil age. To save you. To redeem you. Not just to improve you, but to rescue you. And his death and resurrection did it. And not to maybe do it. Sometimes we talk about salvation of, hey, Jesus opens the door. Hey, you know, if you want to walk through, great, it's up to you. That's not how the Bible describes it. The Bible pictures it as Jesus dives into the dragon's lair, rips the dragon's mouth open, and pulls you out and rescues you. Friends, Grace, grace is a rescue mission. Jesus is a professional jailbreaker. And you've been rescued out of the penitentiary of sin, Satan, and death. And it's not like you were innocent. It's like you were there under false pretenses. Like, oh, the DNA was wrong. I, I didn't really do it. No, you did. The DNA is right. You are guilty. You are damned. But grace pardoned you. Jesus said, I will take it. I will take your sins. I will take the penalty that you deserve and I will die for you and I will rescue you from what? Look at what the Bible says. This present evil age. It really makes you think about this world. What's so evil about this world? Think about this world right now. It's heartbreaking. The racism, the attempts at justified racism, hatred, Disease, the Weinsteins of the world, ISIS, wars, drug overdoses and epidemics. God's grace is rejected. People want to follow their own way. People view themselves as number one. They don't care who they hurt. And all the sins and ways that we function. But the crucified and risen Christ rescues us out of it. And now we live for the new age to come. We are already in that new age, but not yet. Our papers have been filed. Our citizenship is there. Our our acreage has been bought. our, Our home is being built by our carpenter, Lord himself. And yet we're still here. We're still in this present evil age, but we're out of it. We're not controlled by it. We're underneath it. We don't have to follow because now we follow the kingdom of Christ. And you, if you have believed today, you can be rescued from this present evil age and brought into the new kingdom of Christ. And what I love about this word rescue just really hit a chord with me recently is that, you know, every single one of us in this room, if you are in Christ, you are a rescue puppy. This is who you are. We may not realize it, We'd love to think that we're all purebred dogs strutting our stuff around. (laughs) But deep down, if you're honest with yourself, you know you're a mutt. You've mismanaged your life. That deep down, you've messed up a lot of things. But you've been rescued. And now, now you do get treated like a purebred. Now you get to eat from the table. Now you're best in show. Now you get treated like royalty. And and I don't deserve it. This is grace. We get treated this way because of Jesus Himself. All because Jesus rescued me from my sins and from this present evil age. He added His grace to my life. Grace came to me. Is that your story too? Is that what you believe? Grace to you. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I have a Savior in Christ. And it's done. I'm rescued. I'm freed. I'm delivered. Once you've been rescued, you can't be re-rescued. Like, you don't ever see that. Like, especially when we saw all the things with Hurricane Harvey and all these rescues that happen. You imagine, like, someone getting rescued and be like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I gotta go back and get something. Like, no, 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 you've been rescued. It's over. It's done. Someone who's been set free. You don't get set free again. You're free. Once you've received, here's the point, once you receive Jesus' righteousness into your life, you have everything you need. Listen, right now, if you are in Christ, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. But listen, the false teachers in this world, teachers that are on TV, a lot of them, books in the bookstores, biggest church in Houston, they want to teach that you lack something. That you're not measuring up yet. You need to add something to your life. This is what's happening in Galatia. These teachers are telling these Christians that you're almost there, but you need to finish what Jesus started. And that's hellish. Look at what happens when you add to grace. So we've seen what happens when grace is added to you. Look what happens when you add to grace. It really ceases to be grace. So Paul, at the end of verse five, he, after what he's talked about, he just says, this is enough to glorify God forever. We're not lacking any reasons to glorify God now. Now, verse 6, I am amazed you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. Paul says, what in the world is going on? You've been rescued from this present evil age. Christ gave up himself for you for your sins to rescue you. He's raised from the dead, and now you want to turn away from that? You want to leave this gospel of free salvation, this good news of grace, and go to something else? Go to needing circumcision, which is what we'll see in later chapters. Go to needing following the Jewish diet, following the Jewish dress, following the Jewish law. You're Gentiles. Why would you turn to a different gospel? Verse six, turning to a different gospel. Paul says, this is not the same thing I've taught. What you're hearing is not even close. Look what he says in verse seven. Not that there is another gospel. There's actually not another way. And look at all the ways Paul describes this false gospel. Verse six, a different gospel. Verse seven, another gospel. The end of verse seven, to distort, a distorted gospel. Verse eight, a gospel contrary. Different gospel, another gospel, a distorted gospel, a contrary gospel, because this isn't the gospel. Jesus plus anything, whether it's circumcision, diet, dress, anything is not the gospel. And listen, these false teachers, here's what's so tricky is that they're not denying Jesus on the front end. That'd be too obvious. No false teacher denies Jesus up front, really. Jesus isn't God. Jesus isn't real. Jesus doesn't say. They don't go out saying those things. They say those things, but then they also add other things. They deny Jesus on the back end after they've built your trust. That's Satan's specialty. And listen, We have to kind of wonder. We're going to see as you read the book. If you didn't read the book of Galatians, I encourage you, read it this week. It's six chapters. You could read one a day this week. And you'll kind of hear what Paul's saying. Who's telling you you must be circumcised? Who's telling you you must follow the law? Who's telling you you must do these things, these days and months and regulations and celebrations? These do not save. And Timothy George, his commentary on Galatians, he wrote what he would kind of describe as like a little flyer. Maybe the Galatian false teachers are sending out. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses put little mailers and booklets on your house, and they they open it up and have all these promises and all these things. So he says, imagine what the Galatian false teacher's little mailer and fly out sounded like. Maybe it sounded like this. Dear brothers of Galatia, we greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have heard how through the ministry of our brother Paul, not apostle, brother Paul, you've been converted from the worship of dumb idols to serve the true and living God of Israel. We are glad you've made such a good beginning but we're afraid that there are some very important things about the gospel Paul's omitted to tell you. We ourselves come from the church of Jerusalem, which is directed by the very apostles Jesus called and ordained. Paul, though, he's an upstart. Why, he never even knew Jesus while he was on earth. And it was certainly never commissioned by him as an apostle. True, Paul did visit Jerusalem just after he stopped persecuting us. And there he learned the ABCs of the Christian faith from the true apostles. But the message he now preaches bears no resemblance to theirs. I don't imagine he even told you about circumcision. Why, this is the very way God made it possible for you Gentiles to become a part of the faith, to be a part of the new Israel. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Circumcision is just as important as baptism. Nay, more important, for it will introduce you to a higher plane of Christian living. If you observe this holy ordinance of the law, God will be pleased with you. We are just now forming a new association of law-observant churches and we would love for Galatia to be represented. We are true Christians. Jesus our great example. Please the Father by fulfilling the law and so can you. Close, but heresy. There is only, this, this is the point of the book and the point of Christianity and the point of the message of the gospel. There is only one way for you to be accepted before God. And it is not by any of your doing, but only by Christ. So you need a certain level of righteousness, of of goodness, to be accepted by God. And false teaching says you got to do stuff to get it. But the gospel says Jesus has given it all to you. That if you are in Christ, you have all the righteousness you need to be accepted before God. The thief on the cross who who professed faith in Christ for a matter of hours, compared to a 90-year-old missionary there in the Middle East has the same amount of righteousness. You and I have the same amount of righteousness in Christ. There is no difference between us. But other gospels want to say otherwise. Spurgeon said in his day, there's probably 50 different other gospels in our community, there's the same. And you must reject these other gospels, these distorted contrary gospels like the prosperity gospel. But God really wants to make you wealthy and give you material blessings. If you'll just have enough faith, God will become your delivery boy. That's a pimping of the word gospel and of God himself. There's the charismatic gospel that you have to speak in tongues to really be saved. That's Satanism. There's a baptism gospel. You have to be baptized. And if you aren't baptized you aren't saved. You only get saved once you are baptized. These these false gospels, they're like Bucky's. Bucky says everything and it's clean. But it's still human waste being pumped out of there. These false gospels, they look clean. And people will attach anything and everything to them. But it's still human waste on the other end. Beloved Nelson, those are like the easy ones. Like, oh yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong. The more challenging ones are the ones that we already believe in this room that have gone undetected. False gospels that we think will make us more righteous in God's eyes. Things that we do that now I'll be more accepted by God. Now God will love me more. Things like the homeschool gospel that we are more righteous by doing this. And then there's the public school gospel. No, we're more righteous by doing this. There's a spiritual discipline gospel. Well, I'm more righteous than others because of how much Bible reading and prayers I do, and I'm serving at the church. And then, listen, people also believe the spiritual discipline's gospel the other way. I'm not as righteous. I don't read my Bible enough. You're believing a false gospel. I'm I'm not as righteous. I I don't pray enough. I don't serve enough in the church. I, I don't know. That's believing a false gospel that you're righteous on what you do or don't do. There's a theology gospel. I'm more righteous because I mean I had no good theology. I know Reformed theology. I know Tulip and I love it. Or I know I'm I'm not as righteous as others. I'm not really a theologian guy. I don't read. I mean I really struggle to do that. I just don't know systematic theology. You're still righteous in Christ. There's the dry gospel. What's that? Because well, I don't drink alcohol. I'm more holy than other Christians. I'm obviously more serious about Jesus and you would be too if you wouldn't drink. And then there's also the specs gospel. <laughs> I'm more righteous and you would be too. You could be filled with the spirits like me. <laughs> These are all damnable offenses to the, gospel. the real gospel is Jesus alone. Christ alone makes me righteous before God. In Christ, you are totally and eternally righteous. All these other gospels, they, they were all based off of what you do or don't do. You do this, you're more righteous. You don't do this, you're not as righteous. You don't do this, you're more righteous. If you do this, you're less righteous. They are all based off of what you do or don't do. But the real gospel is you do nothing. And you are totally righteous in Christ by faith alone. He did it all. We just believe. And notice to turn to another gospel, we try and grab this other gospel. We aren't just turning from the gospel. Look at what we're turning from. Look at verse six. I'm amazed you are so quickly turning away from him. This is personal. You're not just turning away from a set of truths. You're turning away from God himself. Beloved, God must be real to you. I think it's one of the biggest problems in the Bible, Belt. Jesus just isn't real to people. He's a mascot. He's a spiritual figure. The Christian life isn't just dealing with a collection of sentences. It's dealing with a person, with God himself. Behind the gospel, behind our speaking of grace, God is there. The risen Christ is there. And when we kick the tires on another avenue of righteousness... Another way to be accepted by God is to turn your back on God. And this phrase, turning away, it really means desertion. It's a military term, deserting, turncoating, abandoning, joining the other side. I mean, Pastor Kevin, big Astros fan. Good reason. But imagine if you saw him today wearing a Dodgers jersey. You'd be like, what's wrong with him? We need to do church discipline. What's going on here? You were just celebrating the Astros. How in the world are you wearing a Dodgers jersey now? Imagine if you saw Altuve walking around downtown Houston wearing a Dodgers hat. This is the intensity of Paul's talking about. It doesn't make sense to me. You were all in the Astros. You wanted How are you turning to the other side? How are you? You were saved by the gospel of grace. You received the goodness of Christ alone, making you righteous. And now you want to add works and circumcision and you don't want to eat bacon anymore. I don't understand. Listen, false teachers will use, and legalists use Bible language, but they trouble it and confuse it and distort it. That's why he says in verse seven, there are some who are troubling you, confusing you, and they're distorting the gospel of Christ. It had like a Mona Lisa, and then they turned it into some like wild painting where the eyes are all crazy. But listen, we live in a day where most of us, we're already confused, already don't understand some basic, normal, historic, orthodox Christianity. And so we've got to make sure we have a gospel clarity about us, that we are firm in grace and what it is and what it isn't. But listen, we really live in an area, in a nation of heretics. LifeWay researched this massive survey, and it's really troubling. Listen, seven out of 10 people in Lifeway survey affirm the doctrine of the Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons, but one God, and all three are God, all three eternal. But six in 10 agreed Jesus is both human and divine. This is good, but... More than half went on to indicate that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That's heresy. That's Arianism. Now listen, 46% of self-identified evangelicals, these are people who would say, yeah, I I, I am a Christian. 46% of them agreed or somewhat agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Almost half of people who say they are Christians say, oh yeah, God accepts the worship of Islam. People who are evangelical, people who say Christ alone actually say, well, it's not Christ alone. And a third, 36% of self-identified evangelicals agree that by the good deeds I do, I contribute to earning my place in heaven. That's heresy. And a third of self-identified American Christians believe that. And half of America believes that. This is why the message of the book of Galatians is so urgent. While we must make the real gospel recognizable in tomball and beyond, that it's Christ alone, Christ alone and his righteousness. In any other message, be damned. Verse eight, but even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. And he says it again. Look at the difference. He says in 8, if anyone, if we are an angel from heaven should do this, verse 9, I say again, if anyone is preaching, it's already happening, he says, you should look at those false teachers and say, you're cursed to hell. This is how serious this language is. This intensity carries throughout the entire letter because this is how serious false teaching is. And Paul even throws himself in there. If we, me, Barnabas, Peter, John, James, rest of the apostles, because Paul says, I want you to have unwavering allegiance to the message, not the messengers. I want you to have unwavering allegiance to the Messiah and to his message of grace by faith. If if that's not what you have, if that's not what I teach, forget me. And I'll throw myself in there. If I ever teach anything contrary to the gospel that we have preached and that you've received, have no allegiance to me. Have no allegiance to any other pastor who teaches otherwise. Any books that you have that teach another gospel, let's just burn them. It's going to get cold here soon. It's going to be some more time. They're cursed. What gospel are you believing Are you believing that Christ alone, his righteousness alone, given to me by faith alone, that's what makes me acceptable before God? Follow that radical grace. Don't entertain any other gospel. Don't believe in almost gospel. You tell all legalism and all legalistic teachers, seats taken. Christ alone. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Help us to cling to grace alone to not believe in any other message, to not turn away from you for thinking that our, our Bible reading is gonna to add to the righteousness of Christ. To turn away from you thinking that our church attendance and our serving and our tithing and our, how much we didn't sin this week is gonna make us more acceptable to you. But that all of these things are really just fruits of the righteousness you've given us. Just evidences of the work you've done in us. So help us now, King Jesus, to live by faith alone, in you alone, for your glory alone. Help us to believe that we're righteous by you and you alone. And may we not go to another gospel, a different gospel, a distorted gospel, or a contrary gospel, but to you and you alone. And it's in your mighty name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.